Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains. Join us each week to hear from leading experts in the exciting new fields of blockchain, cryptocurrency, and the decentralized web, where we talk about the future of the internet and what that means for humans like us. Not only will this podcast help you sound super smart around your friends, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in this space and help lead the charge toward a more decentralized web. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Unstoppable Podcast. I'm Diana Chen, your host, and I'm here today with our guest, Benjamin Ramo. He is the founder of the Jenny Metaverse DAO, also the founder of Smile Research and a partner at Three Commas Capital. Previously, was at Binance, Deutsche Bank. So he's got a very, very impressive resume. But today, we're going to be focused on talking all about Jenny Metaverse DAO. I recently had Leah Fisher from Uniquely on the podcast, and Jenny Metaverse DAO is the first First DAO and social token built on Uniquely. So I'm really excited to chat with Benjamin more about what the Jenny DAO is all about, how it got started, and give you guys a, a deeper look into what that's all about. So Benjamin, thank you so much for being here today. And I'm really happy to have you here. Hey, Dan, it's a pleasure. Great. So before we dive into talking about Jenny Dow, I want to know a little bit more about your background. Um, you've obviously been in the space for a while. You've done a lot of different things in crypto, but I'm wondering what was the first entry point for you into crypto? Like what was that thing that grabbed your attention? And then how did you start learning about it initially? Sure. So I started looking at crypto around 2016. I had some friends who were working at Block One. Before developing EOS, they were looking at Bitcoin arbitrage in Korea and all kinds of funky stuff. And then they started uh, getting into EOS. And EOS, we know nowadays, is not a very good project. But four years ago, it did look pretty exciting. And it was attracting a lot of intelligent people. And they had a team which was nicknamed the Ghostbusters, which was there to find bugs in the code. And one of the guys in that team was a 16-year-old high school student uh, called Jay Chung, who uh, who found a whole bunch of bugs. And it, it eventually became so reliant on him that when they launched Mainnet, I don't know if you remember, but EOS was delayed by a couple of days. And apparently the reason was that they needed him his help to uh, to, to launch Mainnet. So it, it's, I think it says a lot of good things about Jay, but also probably raises a lot of red flags about EOS when you know that the mainnet was delayed because a high school student was not available. When I heard about this, I, I thought that I figured that I should get in touch with this guy, Jay, and we became good friends. And uh, we've been working together on all kinds of stuff uh, over the past four years. And he's become a partner now for the Jenny Metaverse style. Such a cool story and super impressive that a 16-year-old was, you know, played such a, an integral role in such a big launch. Back in the day, how did you start learning about it? Because there weren't as many resources back in 2016, 2017 as there are today. Yeah, I think owning crypto 2016, 2017 is actually very similar to owning NFTs nowadays. Because DeFi has really changed everything for you know, the way we the way we invest and hold crypto today. Back in 2017, people were owning assets well where they were going up. And when they were going down, there was really nothing people could do with their assets. And so it was really a, a race on the way up and a race on the way down. 
And it's really during the bear market of 2018, 2019, that people built the infrastructure, which made it possible to have a second wave, which became much bigger than the $1 trillion market cap wave that we saw in the first, uh, first episode of the altcoin uh, bubble. Nowadays, even in the bear market that you've seen over the past month, it's really quite surprising to see that DeFi TVL has been relatively stable. Yes, it has come down, but it's come down only in order of magnitude about uh, to the same extent as the compression in, in Ethereum and altcoin prices, which means that people who are farming are not really taking their assets out of the system and gives me a lot of confidence that it's possible to have a rally that's going to continue to the rest of the year. But in NFTs right now, there's really nothing nothing that you can do with your NFTs other than admiring them and in some cases patting them and 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 taking care of them like you would maybe in Axie Infinities. But there's um it's relatively limited. And all the things that people love to do in DeFi, like staking and rehypothecating and yield aggregating. Uh, and and using as collateral for loans and all these kind of things that people love to do and really forces people to save over the long term doesn't really exist in NFTs. And when that starts happening, that's all going to happen around fractionalization. Once you get fractionalization of NFTs, then all these things that people have to do, like staking and yield aggregating, is going to become possible. So I think comparing 2006, 2016, 2017 to, to nowadays in NFTs actually is relatively similar. And I hope that the Jenny Metaverse DAO and protocols such as Uniquely will allow us to get a stop, step beyond that and get into the DeFi revolution. For sure. So I want to unpack some of that for our listeners who might be a little newer to the space. Um, and because we're going to be talking a lot more about NFT fractionalization in, in the rest of this interview, why don't you just back it up a little bit? And for the people that are newer to the space, explain you know, what NFTs are, like what are some of the problems that we're seeing with NFTs that make them not accessible? And then how does fractionalization of NFTs solve for some of those problems? First, in terms of what makes NFTs difficult, um, buying and collecting NFTs is a very tedious process. I think it requires a lot more research than, than just buying normal fungible tokens because there's all these different rarity traits and the fact that they're specifically, you know, that they're non-fungible. Every, every NFT is different, uh, requires you to really look into every single one. Owning and collecting is a, is a, time-consuming and difficult process, I find. At the Jenny Metaverse DAO, we've tried to solve this by bringing crowd wisdom. So there's a lot of NFTs that I have not come across that have gone into the collection, which I think have added a lot of value. And this has really been thanks to our community, which has some of the best minds in the space and have been able to make their contribution. The um, other difficulty with NFTs is lack of liquidity. So once you own it, it's difficult to buy, but it's also difficult to sell. In a fungible token model, you've got hundreds of buyers and hundreds of sellers or thousands of buyers and sellers, and you've got transactions happening all the time. When you're talking about collectibles, you need one buyer and one seller, and they need to agree on a time to do the transaction and on a price. And it's really a huge coincidence of wants. Uh, that has to happen for, for, for any NFT transaction to occur. 
when you fractionalize NFTs, you give people a lot more flexibility into the number of people that they can transact with and the, the timing that this will occur in. The system we've built really helps people to collect the NFTs that they want and also to dispose of them when they hope to do it. Yeah, and then for people who are maybe, you know, thinking, well, the thing that makes NFTs special is that they are unique and there's only one out there that you could potentially have. And when you fractionalize it and have a collection of, you know, thousands of the same NFT, does that diminish the value of NFTs at all in your mind? Ah, good question. Uh, for some people, it will. I think for some people, owning that one thing that nobody else owns is going to be uh, very special. You know, fractionalization is not going to be uh, uh, an answer to that. You know, there's something really special about NFT ownership. Because if I went around and asked people to sell their ERC-20s, if I'm willing to pay the right price, any token out there, I'll get 20 people put their hand up and offer me a, a, a block sale. If I do the same thing for NFTs, it's going to be very difficult to find that person who's willing to sell. And you'll probably find that with NFTs, even if the person manages to sell the NFT at a profit, there will always be a little bit of regret. You'll never find a happy person on Twitter saying, I sold this NFT for a very good price. So I think there's generally a lot more emotional attachment to, to NFTs than there is to, to um, other types of tokens. Bitcoin might be the exception. I think Bitcoin is a little bit special. It's, it's not, it is fungible, but I think it does have a, people do have emotional attachment to, to the Bitcoins. But you'll find probably with almost any altcoin that you'll very rarely find a, a sad person who made a, who managed to sell at a profit. For that reason, yeah, I think fractionalization on, on NFTs does create a very different emotional attachment to, uh, to the things that you own. So let's go ahead and dive into Jenny Metaverse DAO. I want to know how it all started. So tell me the Genesis story about it. How did you get the idea to form Jenny Metaverse DAO? And then like what inspired that initial idea? Sure. So, you know, I've been working with Jay from quite a, quite a while back. He was at Wharton. He dropped out to focus on this project. And we thought that NFTs would be something very big. So we're, we were incubated by a company called Animoca Brands, which is now the king of NFTs. 2021 NFTs are, are a very hot topic, but for the past three years, really since the end of CryptoKitties or the, uh, the bursting of the bubble of CryptoKitties, NFTs have been a pretty boring space. But Animoca had a vision and they believed in digital ownership rights. And they thought that NFTs would become something really big. And they just stubbornly kept on investing in all the major players in the space to the point where now it's become probably the dominant player globally in, uh, in NFTs. So, so we got a lot of uh, support from Animoca Brands. And we've been looking at the fractionalization space. Uh, I've been doing a lot of DeFi farming myself. And I've just been exploring for looking for the right uh, fractionalization protocols. And there've been a few of them and they all had some kind of game theory problems. And most of the game theory problems lie around the ability to fractionalize multiple NFTs at a time while still recognizing that every NFT is different. And the reason this is tricky is not in the fractionalization part, but in the defractionalization part. So taking your shards and getting back a claim on the NFTs 
and getting a claim on that specific NFT that you want and no other one. And when you've got millions of shards, billions of shards and a limited number of NFTs, everyone, which of one is different, can cause some very complex uh, game theory issues. And so we looked at all the different protocols and came across uniquely. And we came to the conclusion that this was going to be the winner. And we wanted to build on top of it. We issued a token. We raised money. And uh, 70% of that money was used or is uh, used for acquiring NFTs. Maybe I'll talk a little bit about the process of, of buying an NFT. Yeah, that'd be great. So the community, yeah, the community decides, makes proposals to, to buy NFTs, then they go through a vote from the community with majority uh, rule. The decisions are, are passed and the funds themselves, which are earmarked for acquiring NFTs are held by a multi-sig. And the multi-sig is held by representatives of the community who are there to enact the wishes of the community, of which only myself and Jay have a minority of the votes. And so you've got decentralization on three layers, I guess. First on the proposals, then on the voting of the proposals, and then on the execution of those proposals. Got it. So basically, whoever is part of Jenny Dow, if they see an NFT that they think would be really good to buy, they can submit a proposal saying, hey, I think we should buy this. And then the community votes on, you know, whether or not to buy it. And then if, you know, there's a quorum, I assume, or I don't know what it is actually more than 50% or whatever you have it set to, then then the DAO will go ahead and purchase it. That's how it works. Exactly. And the results have been quite the results have been quite interesting. The, the first NFT, you know, we just had to kickstart things. And the first NFT, I, I was uh, involved in, in getting the proposal through. Not the vote, but the, the proposal. And this was for a, an NFT from Steve Aoki and Blau. They did an amazing job. So they, they, they had the song, and the song is called Jenny. Uh, it's a custom made for, for, the, for the Jenny Dow. And then you've got this robotic voice that says, hello, I'm Jenny. And then, um, yeah, it's, it's a really cool song. It's actually something you like to listen to on, on radio or in a club or something. That one I was active in helping select and, and propose to the community. But afterwards, I've really been very hands-off uh, and I haven't been directly involved in any of the purchases we've done since. But what's really interesting is that the, the community was, has really taken a mind of its own and has come up with all these other NFT ideas, which are very closely linked to the whole Jenny theme. So for example, you know, Jenny is a, is a, the inverted Jenny is a stamp. It's an American stamp with where they printed it and made a mistake and printed the airplane the, the wrong way around. Back in the days when every color on a stamp had to be done on a new print and somebody just misplaced the paper and did the wrong way. So it's a, it's a famous stamp and stamps for a long time were, were probably the, the largest collectible asset. Uh, and it, it just shows that every collectible is unique and special and some are extra unique and extra special because of, in this case, a printing mistake, just like NFTs. The community has come up with all these different proposals, which could be tied to the whole Jenny theme. And so one of them, for example, was the, the yacht, the, um, it was a two emoji um, smoking hot, so cigarettes and a, and a flame uh, emoji. And the idea there was that Jenny is smoking hot. So that's one idea that they came up with. Another idea that they came up with 
uh, was to was to get the CryptoPunk of the pilot, uh, and the pilot is female and she's smoking like the yacht, and the pilot, you know, lends to the whole uh, airplane thing. You know what what the DAO ends up buying in the future? I really don't know. I'm really excited to see. I think uh, the DAO itself is coming up with much better ideas than I could ever come up with. Yeah, for sure. That is super exciting. And so I want to talk about your launch too. And so like the very first time that you announced to the public that Jenny Metaverse DAO was happening, you guys had a pretty unique launch and a very successful one. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And what was the thinking that went into like how you wanted to launch and then what made it so successful? Mm -hmm. So I think it's been unique in a few ways. One of them is that we did not have a public sale. Instead of a public sale, we had we didn't have an IDO. We didn't have uh, anything like that. What we had was a was the community which voluntarily decided to provide liquidity. So we had a community run liquidity event instead of a public sale, and eighty percent of the token buyers from the private sale voluntarily agreed to provide liquidity on day one. And I've never really seen this happen on any other token before. Probably expect that kind of behavior from, you know, some of the the, the larger funds, people who are really used to to farming on DeFi. But what we saw with the, with the Jenny DAO is that even a lot of the KOLs, for example, who are not traditionally known for being long-term holders, uh, voluntarily decided to stake their assets. Um, so I think that was a that was a very surprising experience. Uh, and from day one, we had about nine million dollars of uh, of liquidity in the pool, which brought the the Jenny DAO definitely on, uh, on the map. I think there's very few DAOs with uh, those that kind of liquidity depth from day one. The other thing which was very unique in our model was that there was full vesting from day one, and that too I haven't really seen elsewhere. So my personal view is that these uh, lockups and vesting schedules are not a good thing. Uh, what ends up happening is that you're kicking the can down the road to and just postponing the, you know, the inevitable, which is that dumpers are going to dump. And you end up restraining their behavior and creating an artificial price. And you over and over again, we've seen tokens with extremely high prices on the first days. And as the vesting schedules go through, the price gradually comes down until sometimes it hits zero. And that's really not a good thing. And it doesn't help anybody and doesn't help the new buyers either. And to make a truly fair system, I think that we need to wash out the dumpers as quickly as possible and allow the new buyers to come in at the price, which is not artificially created by by artificial uh, supply demand conditions. Those two points really about the vesting schedule and the voluntary uh, community-based liquidity event make the Jenny DAO very special. Got it. So if somebody wants to join the DAO, what would be the process? Would they just go online and buy some Eugenie tokens? Is that is that the first step? That's correct, yeah. So anybody's welcome. It's open protocol. Anybody can... Uh, Come in and join. You buy uh, a Eugenie, you get access to uh, special uh, events, access to thought leaders, to artists, to to all these kind of uh, exclusive contents which are being developed. And then you also get to 
offer proposals and most importantly, be able to vote on these proposals. Gotcha. And then so what you were saying before is that the price of the Eugenie token stays the same forever? Eugenie can go up and down, but it will go up and down based on 100% full vesting from day one. Uh, so it's not it's not a price where you've got X price on day one with only 5% of tokens in circulation, which sometimes the, the founders control and, and are able to, to move in the favor. At this point, anybody who wanted to sell their tokens could have done it. Gotcha. Okay, very cool. Going back to another point you made earlier, you said that you looked at several different protocols before deciding to build on Uniquely. What was special about Uniquely that made you choose that over other protocols? To have a, a good fractionalization protocol, it has to be fair and efficient. So fair means that every shard holder needs to be treated equally. And efficient means that no single shard holder can block the whole system. You have to do this while recognizing that every NFT in the world is unique and irreplaceable. And some of the other protocols either only let you fractionalize one NFT at a time, whereas uh, uniquely what we liked about it was the ability to shard multiple NFTs at a time. Some protocols only let you fractionalize multiple collections or collections of multiple NFTs, but with very, very similar features. So if you've got only CryptoPunks, only worth a certain price range, then the system works. And uniquely allows you to fractionalize collections with a whole variety of, of NFTs inside. Not just originating from different contracts, but even, for example, having one NFT from an ERC721 and another one from an 1155. One CryptoPunk and one Beeple. One very cheap NFT, one very expensive NFT. Uh, and this is possible and uniquely. And I think that really makes it very different from anything that's out there. And then what is the relationship between Jenny and Uniquely now? Because I know Uniquely has their own tokens too. Like, uh, is there some connection now between the Eugenie token and the Uniquely token? Or are they uh, totally separate? So the Jenny token from day one was fractionalized on Uniquely. Even before the vault had NFTs in it, the U token itself had been created on the Uniquely protocol. So from day one, there there already was a relationship. The owners of Jenny are able to stake into the liquidity pool their Jenny tokens with Ethereum or with Ether and receive unique mining rewards. And this was not a decision of the Jenny DAO. It was the decision from the the Uniquely community. Uh, the Uniquely community comes up with new reward structures or, or point balancing uh, every couple of weeks. And uh, so far, uh, Jenny has been up there. Gotcha. You know, zooming out a little bit and just looking at the NFT ecosystem as a whole and the DAO ecosystem as a whole, what do you see happening in each of those ecosystems in the next year that you think is really going to be very exciting for people and that people should take note of. And then I'm also curious to to hear your thoughts on where you see NFTs and DAOs being in the long term, like in 10 years, for example. Yeah, so good question. I think uh, Jenny Dow is in a very special position at the moment because I think we've gone into a mini bear market or a small correction. 
the NFT market itself has partly dried up. And this actually represents a huge opportunity for the, for the Jenny Metaverse DAO because it has fun to spend. And the, the DAO started off with about $5 million of assets, has spent about $1 million, and has about $4 million left. And in the world right now, there's really very few people who have $4 million of dry powder to spend on NFTs. But I also think, you know, with, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, and it, it does put a lot of pressure. Uh, and I definitely hope that the, uh, the DAO comes up with uh, proposals which are really able to support the, uh, the NFT uh, ecosystem and bring it forward. For um, where NFTs are going to take us, I think it's really going to be extremely exciting. I'm convinced that NFTs will be a multi-trillion dollar asset class. And the main uh, hurdle to, to get there is NFT infrastructure. And uniquely, I think, is going to be a pillar of that infrastructure and that the Jenny Metaverse DAO is contributing to the unique ecosystem. But once you, once you get the infrastructure, I think the, there's, the potential is going to be massive. Where right now, you've seen collectibles, which have already showed their, showed their use case uh, properly. Gaming is starting to get there. So you've got games like F1 Delta Time with you know, where you race your car and your car is made up of different components like tires and engines and each one of these is NFTs. I think the, the whole idea of the metaverse is extremely exciting. So companies like Sandbox, what they're doing is, is really awesome. You know, you, you have to remind yourself there's people still debating whether Bitcoin is real or not. And meanwhile, they're missing the point that there's already a whole parallel economy which is being built on, on the uh, metaverse. And that parallel economy is going to be based on blockchain technology. So I think these are all use cases which are starting to become apparent and, and are, are really going beyond just the testing phase. Uh, but what's really going to take us to, to a multi-trillion dollar economy is not going to be expensive beeples and CryptoPunks. It's going to be real world assets and financial NFTs. And real world assets, uh, I say that because the best link between representing something in the real world and representing something in the blockchain world or virtual world is going to be done through NFTs. It's, I think it's going to be very difficult to do that through, through fungible tokens. The financial NFTs are already starting to take off, and I don't think people are giving enough attention to that. But when you look at Uniswap B3, for example, where every LP position is represented as an NFT, when you look at these quasi NFTs, like compound debt position, for example, which is not represented as a token, but is a non-fungible, non-tradable position. And this could be represented in the future by tradable, non-fungible tokens. When you really put all that together, I think it's really going to be inevitable that uh, NFTs are going to become multi-trillion dollar asset class and will eventually probably surpass the size of the fungible token market. For sure. I love that. So if you put yourself into the future, say it's the year 2030, how are we interacting with NFTs? How are we interacting with DAOs? Have DAOs just completely permeated our ecosystem? Have they completely replaced companies and our traditional organizations? And, you know, does everybody have an NFT collection or maybe like in your ideal situation? Um, what would what would it look like in the year 2030? Sure. So in 2030, I'll be pretty old. So I think there's probably going to be a proposal from the Jenny Dow to send me to the retirement home. 
our lives in the in the metaverse are is really going to take off. So I've got a, a a much younger sister, and she plays Roblox all the time, and she spends a lot of money on it. When I grew up, I I didn't even have a PC at home. I had a I grew up in France. We had a Minitel. So the Minitel was before the internet became common. Everybody in France was issued a uh, for free uh, a small computer where that was so slow that when you would type, you would actually see the the letter spell itself on the on the computer screen. Um, and so back then, you know, we had no no blockchain, no no social networks. But for the for the new generation, I think things are very different. And for for somebody who's grown up from age of six, seven, playing Roblox and spending money on on items like new dresses and and bakeries for their for their character and socializing and interacting in, in this whole virtual world, it's going to become a very natural thing to to have a parallel life and parallel economy all based on in the in the metaverse. And when you start getting to those worlds which become very real, governance will also become very real and will become probably as important as governance we see in in the physical world but where people actually have a lot more influence i think uh, sometimes we feel that in the in the real world it's difficult to have influence over over some important things uh, that 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 control our lives we can actually build a, a new metaverse world where each one of us is a lot more empowered i totally agree with you i think with the new generation the metaverse is you know it feels almost as natural as the real world and so it's you know not this huge strange thing that i think some of the older generation is afraid of um happening in the future i think it's it will just happen very naturally and i definitely see the metaverse being a very big part of everybody's lives in 10 years from now so i'm totally with you on that all right well benjamin uh this last segment i call explain your tweet this is where i go through your twitter and pull out some interesting or cryptic tweets most of your tweets are pretty straightforward there's a lot of retweets of good stuff um, on your twitter but I did want to call out this one that I thought was really interesting, caught my eye. This is from May 19th, 2021. It's a quote tweet of Start Crypto, which the original tweet was, the world's first physical crypto art gallery will soon unveil in Hong Kong's cultural retail landmark, K11 Musea. And then you said, I'm very excited to be working on the world's first physical crypto art gallery at K11 in Hong Kong. Super cool. So I, I know this is becoming a thing, like physical crypto art galleries, but I think it's still very new. And so can you talk a little bit more about what what is this physical crypto art gallery in Hong Kong? And then how did you get involved uh, with working on it? So I've got friends who who are setting up this gallery. I'm not a creative person myself. I, I can't really qualify myself as an art critic, but I'm um, I love surrounding myself by 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 the the more creative types. And I think NFTs, you know, I understand the numbers aspect of it. You know, for me. Combining DeFi and, and NFTs may, is very intuitive, but I've got something lacking, which is the ability to, to really have, to put this in an artistic context. I've got one person who's an advisor who's helping me a lot with that. His name is uh, Roberto Sresia. He's a real artist. You know, he actually owns real galleries. Yeah, I think he owns a gallery in Shanghai. He's been doing this his whole life. And he really understands the, the importance of the artistic component in NFTs and and I think when we go through proposals or, or in the future when we 
come up with new proposals. Having guy like like uh, Roberto on board is uh, is very important. To understand the 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 meaning of an artistic NFT, I think it's important to put it in in context and how people will be collecting and owning it. And rather than just looking at Lazy.com or or OpenSea and and connecting to their APIs and trying to figure out what an what an NFT looks like, I think um, these friends I have had this cool idea of coming up with the first, or if not the first, probably the nicest NFT gallery in the world. And it's going to be using new technology to display it, to show it, and to, to share the message with people who are not just from the blockchain space, but who are maybe more traditional type of art collectors. I don't know if you know K11. It's out on the Kowloon side. It's, it's probably, probably the, the nicest department store in, uh, in Hong Kong. So we've got a a store right between uh, Cartier and, and McAllen. So if you drop by Hong Kong, we'd love to uh, to have you for the opening ceremony in a month and a half. I would love to be there. That would be amazing. I don't think that's going to happen, but that that would be a dream. I would love that. I've, I love Hong Kong and I, I can't wait to go back sometime once the world is more open and everything feels a little safer and back to normal. But very cool story. I, I definitely am going to go check it out one day. Good luck with the launch. I think it's going to be super cool. Um, well, Benjamin, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. Before you go, just tell people where they can find you if they want to connect with you personally. And then also, what's the website or where can people go to buy some Eugenie tokens and get involved in the Jenny Metaverse DAO? So the website is jennynft.io. Uh, and my name is Benjamin Ramo, R-A-M-E-A-U. And you can find me on Twitter. If you want to buy the, uh, the Jenny token, don't buy it. But if you do buy it, you can buy it on Uniquely. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks again so much, Benjamin, for being here. Listeners, thank you for tuning in as always. And we'll be back again soon with another episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please rate, subscribe, and download our podcast and share this episode on social media with your network. And remember, the fun doesn't have to stop when the episode ends. You can continue this conversation with us on Twitter by tweeting your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. We look forward to chatting with you and thanks again for listening.